We say good morning, church. Hey, 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 we got uh, we got people here. People came here today. Actually, a lot more were able to make it than I expected. I'm not so sure if I was expecting to even be here today. I didn't know exactly what to uh, what we were going to see to expect whenever I drove up. All the uh, ice that had come down out of our house, it didn't look that good. It didn't look promising at all. It's nothing but ice around there and you fall around. Trees are beautiful. And the sun's been out. And uh, you guys didn't even uh, fall. Nobody fell, right? Because I think all, most of the ice was gone out of there. So, uh, hey, the Lord made way. We enjoyed it. And uh, we move on with our worship today. And we happen to be in Mark 13. And where we've been so far has been in the temple. And you remember the questions that were asked to Jesus? We, we go over this every week, but just to bring you into context, what's happening? And so they ask Him questions, Pharisees, scribes, all the, the hypocrites. And then Jesus asked them a question about who He is. And that sets that up in the order there and shows that He's Son of David. And now He's teaching the disciples. And the disciples have a question for Him. Maybe more than one. Uh, I don't know if they know exactly what they're asking, but they did ask, when will these things be? And they're talking about the destruction of the temple because Jesus had talked about that temple. He had brought that up already. And uh, because they said how great, how beautiful this is. That's where we were at last week. So we just covered the last almost couple of months in just a space of about uh, one minute and 45 seconds. Okay, is that pretty good? Now we're ready to move on. And, uh, of course, last week we saw that they asked, when will these things be? Uh, this matter of the temple. And then they also asked, when is the sign of the, the end of the age? As it's recorded in Matthew. And Mark says uh, that uh, what will be the sign uh, when these are going to be fulfilled. And so, what Jesus does here now is He doesn't tell them when, because they would really like to answer when, Everybody would like that answer when, and because it's not here specifically, they start uh, giving out dates, and they've done that for probably 2,000 years. People have uh, dated it, especially in our lifetime. We have seen people after people do that, people that are in cults and people that are recognized in the body of Christ. But um, Jesus didn't say. But He did tell them what to expect. Here's what you can expect. What we can expect, and I think it even goes all the way into further generations as we had uh, looked last week. He has a design. He has a plan that was made before the foundation of the world. And it's going to come true, right? All the way from the time of His creation all the way to the time that He comes back and on into eternity, He's already planned out. And we who believe in Him believe in a sovereign God. And we know that everything that He says about it then is going to be absolutely perfect and uh, accurate, isn't it? So he is true. I'm thankful to the Lord for that. Remember the Lord's answering two separate questions here, whether or not the disciples at that moment understood they want the kingdom to be set up now. That's what they're thinking. Uh, he does answer concerning the temple and then the other concerning the end of the age. Most commentators, not all, but most, accept that in our text today. We kind of pointed that out last week and uh, we uh, made quite a mention of it in the sense that there are more than just one mountain range whenever there's prophecy. There are other ones. There's one near, there's one far. And 
We look at the destruction of the temple. We know in A.D. 70 that did happen. Uh, the temple uh, definitely went down, just as he said, down to the very detail. Not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And uh, that's the way it is. History, we have that. I don't think anybody has anything to argue with that. Um, and also in this, uh, this Mark 13, we see the second coming. And I don't think you'll see hardly any uh, biblical scholars that would have any difficulty with that about Christ coming back. Uh, when he came back is another thought, and we said there are the ones who said Jesus came back in 70 A.D., uh, but uh, we know that this, that second coming hasn't happened. Paul warned about people that said that he's already come back even in his lifetime. Uh, he can come back in a spiritual sense to our, to our lives, but we're talking about a physical second coming. And uh, that is one thing. We, we're, not, uh, we're not full preterist here. Um, but we're, we were talking about the consummation all the way up from the, where Christ is talking about it at that time all the way up to the, uh, the history of uh, our time down through our ages here. So there's clear references. More than simply the destruction of Jerusalem when we extend this text all the way to the end of the chapter. It's, it's more than just 70 A.D. And the reason I say that is that first of all, we know the Gospel is to be preached to all the nations. And Matthew made a point that the preaching was complete. And when it would complete, then the end would come. So this stretches it out to the very time that Christ comes back, even in the early early text when we think of uh, Matthew and Mark. And Luke, the account, is called the Great Tribulation. So I do not refrain not to use that word. Um, it might be a, uh, a word that people don't want to use, but the thing is, it is biblical. It is used. It's used... In Matthew, it's used used in Mark, it's used in Luke. Uh, If you look in Luke, the account of the Great Tribulation we have here in verse 19, for those days will be a time of tribulation. This is in Mark. It's a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. It's an event that uh, nothing can compare to that particular event. That's a tribulation there, as we say in when you have Luke, which mentions uh, the, the great tribulation, um, it talks about Gentiles. Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled to the very completion of the Gentile age, and uh, still the Gentiles trample all over the world. They still have that. Uh, no contemporaries of Jesus at that time saw those things. Uh, there are many others. Um, I haven't seen all of these things. Uh, you know, some of it's already been done. But remember, as we look also in, into the future, as he's talking about here, uh, Christ coming back, that generation that would see that tribulation, um, the things that he talks about uh, right at the time when the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light, the Son of Man coming in clouds and gathering the elect. Uh, then he talks about that generation that sees those things. Um, that generation will not pass away that's seeing those particular things. matter of fact, on the last day, when he talks about this in the Lord's statement in Luke, he says, we'll come upon all those who live on the face of the earth. And it wasn't just talking to the 
the apostles there or just the ones in 70 A.D. or just in Israel area, but now he's talking and Luke expands it out. It's over all the face of the earth, dealing with all the Gentiles. So it's not just a little local 70 A.D. Uh, It's something that expands much further out. Now, there's not a great deal of difficulty with what we dealt with uh, last week in the first 13 verses. I think if we look at that, we know, and I've said it probably already probably three or four times about 70 A.D. We know that that is there. What is its um, prediction of the fall of the temple? There would be tragedies throughout history. And so we, we see the things about the wars and rumors of wars, and we know about there being false Christ, false messiahs, nation against nation. Uh, it's just going to get worse. Uh, we don't have a lot of positive news of thinking that this world is going to get better and when we get it better, then Christ will come back. I don't see that at all in Scripture. I see exactly the opposite of that. And that would be a post-mill view that says one of these days we will get it together here. We'll get it, And that's when Christ will come back when everything um, we have uh, expanded Christianity all across the world and we take over and Christ will come back. That's a post-mill view. I don't see that. We've seen things that have gotten worse. We're talking beginning of birth pangs. When you have birth pangs, you have them when they're, they're far apart, and then they become a little closer, and then they become closer, and then you have rapid-fire shooting. I mean, it's, it's time to deliver. And uh, so the, he's talking about the beginning of birth pangs, and so once we extend out on that, we know that uh, that time is the time when Christ comes back. Uh, it, it is has much difficulty as reading Dr. John Murray. By the way, I'm not speaking of pre-tribulation today when that uh, rapture is going to happen. I'm not speaking of that. All I'm doing is I'm taking Scripture and I'm, I'm dealing with something that is very difficult because it is something that is in the future. It is something that we can't look back and say, well, this happened. We know 70 A.D. happened, but when we see things that are futuristic, and I do point out, and I have pointed out the reasons why there has to be some future here. Otherwise, if Christ has already come back, what hope do we have? And that's what Paul says. We look for that second coming and some of those other things. Um, this um, is not just a theoretical significance, but Dr. John Murray said that it's not easy to interpret the prophetic discourses in the Bible. And he's saying because it's something that you know we, we can take Scripture and look at it, but we don't know for sure because it hasn't happened. Here's what we think. He said this, the delineation of the eschatological drama, you like that? <laughs> of the end times drama is not always continuously progressive. It can be progressive, but it's often recapitulatory. But recapitulation is not repetition. So, rather difficult statement. This guy comes from a reform side and not, necess- uh, not necessarily coming from a pre-trib uh, rapture or anything like that. But he does say the prophetical is difficult to deal with. Much of my study this week has been uh, come from people who are reformed. Matter of fact, all of the guys that I read basically are reformed in their nature. Because if you can't get that right, uh, what else can't you get right? Uh, I think it's very key. I'm not saying anybody that's not Reformed can't write about a lot of things that are good, but uh, I go to those guys and I look at that and I know in the Reformed nature there are different views on this. Uh, Guys who um, take an amillennial view, view, -view, post-view, pre-millennial view, uh, ones who take... 
preterist view, a full preterist, and a partial preterist. They are they run the gamut. So we're not talking about some crazy lunatic uh, interpretations that's dealing with um, um, some of the things that we know in our evangelical time, you know, and and some of the things where it deals with um, crazy things and, and people naming dates and such. What we're looking at, though, is what the Scripture mentions. When it says Great Tribulation, I'm not afraid to say it. It's there. When it talks about tribulation, it is there. We must not deny it. Uh, that's, that's the thing we're looking at. But we're not just speaking of theoretical ideas here. What we're looking at is we want to look at the practical and we want to look at the pastoral aspect. That's my main concern of what this text is. Um, I must say, I have spent many, many, many years on prophecy. A lot of things that I've kind of had to shed because it was just things of mere speculation. I'd rather look at the text and go with what the text says. Um, Whenever some of my favorite writers say that uh, they're not even sure what all this means, uh, and they won't touch it. Some others will try to, to get the best that they can. Here's what we have. I'll try to go the, with the best that I can going through this uh, Mark text and other passages. Um, but the thing is, we're realizing that the second coming to us Christians is a dawning of, of a new day. We look to that. I, that's what our joy is about. It's not that things are going to get better in this world. I would like to say that and tell you guys great news. Guys, from here on out, till Christ comes back, it's going to do nothing but get better. And if I could say that, and if you just think positive, it's going to happen. But I can't say that because I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. It should get better in our own lives, trusting in Christ. We don't know what's going to come as far as tests, those kind of concerns are. But I can say, as far as the world is concerned, they have no hope without Christ. We do. And it does get better in the sense, I'm getting closer to that time. I'm closer than uh, uh, 30 years ago. Or yesterday. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And so that's what I'm really wanting to offer here. But I will tell you that the tenor, the very tone of this chapter, and what we looked at last week, it's not really about joyful expectations unless you're looking for Christ. But, but before that time, here are things that are you can expect. You can anticipate Christ, but there are things that are going to happen, that have happened, that will happen. And what we say is watch, take care, be alert. And that's the biggest thing that I can say out of a, a, a positive sense, and, and that's a good thing. And that's what Christ... Uh, is saying, but it's amazing that he would tell them details right there to the apostles. Some of the things that were going to happen to them right there. Some of them were going to see that temple fall down, or at least be living at that time, and see the results of that. Uh, and definitely, that that was to them. But it was 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 it only to them? Well, we'll see in our text that uh, he's talking about readers and readers understanding. I think we're reading today, and I think it's good that we can know and understand this stuff because it's not just something that was 2,000 years ago. It's very relevant to us. So let's uh, take up and read. Let's take the Bible up as uh, Augustine had uh, done, as, as he said for his first time when he became a Christian. Take up the Bible and read. Take it up. Um, let's take it up. Let's stand up. Pick it up, verse 14. 
going through 23. So that's about 10 verses, isn't it? Okay, that's probably about as far as we're going to get today. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field and must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom He chose, He shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, He is there, do not believe Him, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you everything in advance. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. Lord, we stand humble before You realizing you have given information to the apostles that they could take comfort, even knowing that many things were going to be coming in their lifetime, in their way, that uh, would be difficult as they delivered the gospel. But the apostles have now come and gone. Two thousand years have come and gone. Many of these things we see, we, we yet see, and uh, we depend upon you. Thank you for showing us your truth. And may we go through a very difficult text today, just uh, letting Your Word speak to us by Your Spirit. In Your Son's name, Amen. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. We pick up at verse 14. And we call this the abomination of desolation. And we first go to just defining abomination. Abomination is blasphemous. Something that is detestable, something that is very sacrilegious, an abomination. Then there's the word desolation, which means to destroy, to devastate, the abomination of desolation. Now, imagine the man, Christ Jesus, who is God, peering through the chapters at the end of the book of Daniel, actually studying them. Jesus did know Scripture. He is Scripture. But yet at the same time, He learned. We know at 12 years old, He grew up in, in um, learning the, the things of God, even though He's God. There's His humanness along with His deity. He knew what Daniel was about. Um, and there He makes a quote, the abomination of desolation, something that people would have been familiar with, uh, so he applies this scripture here to uh, his disciples right off the bat. If you look in Daniel 9, 26 and 27, we get a little bit familiar with what Jesus is using here. Verse 26, Then after the sixty-two weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, have nothing. The people, the prince who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And He'll make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, 
He will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, did you see words that sounded familiar to what Jesus just said? Desolate. Abomination. Right? The abomination of desolation. Um, As he uses that, we know that it's something that has been biblical. It's out of Daniel. It's something that maybe they would have known. Maybe he's going to reiterate, bring that out a little more. But in 1131, again, something along the same nature, forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortresses, and do away with the regular sacrifice. And they will set up the abomination of desolation. So two passages in Daniel we've seen. Turn over to chapter 12 and in verse 11. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination is of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Abomination, desolation. And three passages in Daniel. Now, if we go to, if we back up now in the time of uh, before Christ, 167 BC, there was a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Daniel was speaking, and his contest was speaking of pagan armies that were going to invade Jerusalem. And they would come into the regular temple, mentioned sanctuary, the sacrifices that they had. This Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the leader of these, it would have been the Greek world at that time, and uh, he sets up an abomination that uh, causes the desolation. Uh, It's been suggested that there was reference to a pagan idol, the image of a god, being set up in the midst of the Lord's house. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, actually uh, erected an altar in the temple. Erected an altar, it was actually to the god Zeus, this pagan god. And over this altar of burnt offering, also there was uh, sacrificed pigs put on it. Now, to the Jewish people, this is an abomination of desolation in the sense that he comes in, brings a pig. We know what they think of pigs, right? Can you imagine bringing a pig into the very temple and on the altar it is put? This is God's temple. So this guy wanted to Hellenize or Greekize the Jews. He wanted to make them all Greeks and take away their God and have them worship his gods. And so the abomination action of Antiochus Epiphanes is what Jesus is referring to, only that is in the past tense. And now he is speaking in the future tense. Um, We can still go back, and we can go back to 40 A.D., which is shortly after the time of Christ, ten years, within a decade. There was an insane emperor by the name of Caligula, and he thought he was a god. Most of your Caesars did. And he almost succeeded in erecting a statue of himself in the Jewish temple. But he didn't get that done. We know in 70 AD, there was something that happened that was catastrophic. 
and in 68 AD there were various ensigns of the Romans and it really was speaking of idolatry and it was humiliating abomination of sense to the Jews following their uh, actually a defeat Josephus tells us this he's the Jewish historian uh, at the time of Christ and the apostles the Romans upon the burning of the holy house itself and of all the buildings round about it brought their ensigns to the temple and set them over against its eastern gate and there did they offer sacrifices to them so the temple is burnt down the city is utterly ruined uh, a few days later the abominable Roman idolatry in the temple did indeed cause desolation no doubt about this Jesus mentions this. He says, when you see this, here's some things that I want to tell you about. No doubt about it. I believe that he's talking about the temple that was at that time of uh, 70 AD. I have no doubt. If you look in Matthew 24:15, we go back to the Matthew account. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, and that's why we went back and looked at Daniel, because we're just going with the text here. We looked at Daniel. See what he said. Standing in the holy place. We'll get to that in a little bit. Standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Okay, there's our Matthew account. Let's look in Luke 21.20. This is speaking, uh, really, he's using the fig tree as an example of what's going to happen to the nation of Israel, uh, specifically the, the temple. And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have... uh, Wait, verse 20. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did the fig tree wither all at once? How did the fig tree wither all at once? This is a parable. Um, And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast to see, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. So there, there's a, definitely a little lesson for them to pick up there in believing that you know Christ had uh, put a curse on this tree. They take a look at it, and there it is. It's, it's uh, withered. It's cursed. Um, anyway, what, uh, what comes out of this is the fact that um, it, it withered. Israel was going to wither. Uh, Jerusalem was going to wither or uh, be destroyed in that sense. Now, if we look in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we've looked at the past. We know historically that happened. Can prophecy, can there be things in the future that happen that we don't necessarily know about that actually could be written in the Bible? Well, it happened to the Jews because a lot of things happened in their lifetime. Happened very soon sometimes. But they couldn't see what it was really pointing to, which was ultimately the cross. 
And there is a judgment that is to come. And all through the Old Testament, you have judgment. Not only of of, uh, the time of judgment at Babylon, but the judgment of all the nations, the nation of of Israel and and such. And it it extends out all the way to the end, all the way through the Old Testament. When you read that, you just don't see it happen just at that time. It could be. But more often than not, there is something that goes beyond that. David was... he was, uh, Remember, Jesus called the son of David. But what's the ultimate of that? David is not the one who is the Messiah. It's Jesus. You know, speaking ahead. But they, they looked at the son of David. Didn't get it all clear. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I think which gives us a little bit of credence here of looking and saying, could this happen in the future? Second Thessalonians, let's start at verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. At the same time, there's going to be judgment. Okay, Day of the Lord, that's negative. Christ coming back for His people, that's positive, right? I'm going to gather to Him. That you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord. Often in the Old Testament you see the day of the Lord. Um, Usually. And it can mean His judgment that He came back then, but it also points out to the time that Christ comes back. That's certainly what Paul is alluding to here. That time hasn't come yet. See, it was already being told by people, he's already come back. And what about the people that have died? You know, are they going to be able to come with him? You know, and you know, he gives the answer to all that. But he says, let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. We have a son of David, just Christ. We have a son of destruction. We have a man. And it, it talks about something here that's not just a spiritual sense, but a man who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. He's called the mystery of lawlessness. And that lawlessness is going to continue. Look at verse 8. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. Where does he get his power? With all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. This mystery of lawlessness, this lawless one, this man, this one who uh, is revealed, he opposes, he exalts. It's speaking of a he, it's it's speaking of personality, some being. And uh, Christ will slay him. He will destroy him at his coming. So that has to be at a time when? At his coming. And as Paul is talking about, he says, don't be deceived. These things have to happen first. And So he mentions that. 
If you'll look in Revelation chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, you'll notice that one man was going to come into the, uh, the temple of God, displaying as himself as God, and take himself there as being God, right? In Revelation chapter 11, 1 and 2, there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations. And then they'll tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. There is one that's spoken there in Revelation. It's a temple. Thessalonians speaks about a temple. If we look in Revelation 13, 14, and 15, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So here uh, it's speaking about even uh, the temple, speaking of one who has the image of the beast, causes people to worship him. There's an image there. He deceives those who dwell on the earth. Now, I want to tell you, you might uh, know that in Islamic eschatology, it's kind of interesting to see what their view is on future things. And not that they're right, of course. They don't have the scriptures that we do that are inspired. They have eschatological literature. And out of their beliefs, they believe that when this authoritative one comes, he will set up his throne establish Islamic world rule in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. And that is where, instead of Medina, another place, that is where the worship will be. Now, he will be aided and abetted by a prophet. Now, this is just coming from their teaching, okay? I'm not saying I believe it. But they're aided by this prophet who comes, and his name is Jesus. They say Jesus will come back and say this. You're all wrong. You've always been wrong about me all the time. I didn't die. I didn't resurrect. I didn't pay for sin. And I'm actually a radical Muslim. (laughs) That is the eschatology of Islam. And so he's going to come here to correct all the misunderstanding people, and that's you and, and me and all the, all the infidels who are Christians. <laughs> but we're known as infidels. And if we don't believe that, we don't want to go along with it. He, he's called the Mahdi, M-A-H-D-I. And whenever he comes back, of who Jesus is going to set forth for them, Anybody who doesn't worship the Mahdi, the real one that they're looking for, will be massacred. Now, that's Islamic eschatology. That's really what they believe. That's what's going on in the world. That's why you're seeing what you're seeing. That's why you're seeing all sorts of things going on all over the world. They've been doing this uh, 1,300 years. 
And um, now they think that this time has come close to that. They are now, I think, at their last prophet. Uh, Their Messiah is the Bible's Antichrist. They have an Antichrist too. Their Antichrist is a man who will come and say he's Jesus, the Son of God. And he will lead people into worshiping this Mahdi, this final one. And so we notice back in Mark now, that's just interesting, you know, coming from whatever that means, I just threw that in. But that's kind of the things that are happening on in the Gentile world as they have multiplied all across the world. You have this Muslim religion that is uh, taking Europe and has moved west and is now in our country very prevalent. Especially when you have a president that happens to be one. He's going to place himself where he ought not to stand, it says here in uh, verse 14. This uh, it should not be, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Uh, that's in Matthew 24. And it says he's going to be standing in the holy place. That's what Matthew 24 says. Mark, he says, let the reader understand. Uh, this is for readers. Uh, it's spoken to the apostles, but let the reader understand. And it's not added by some kind of editor that you have in parentheses there and somebody just wanted to put that there later on. This is what Mark wrote. That's what he penned down. That's in your Scripture. This is not going to happen until this is written down. At least that it's put down in Scripture and it's read by people. People will be reading this. Uh, Therefore, it's definitely for uh, some future generation or people that will be reading it later on. It's not just for the ones who are listening uh, the Mount of Olives. We know that, I've mentioned the 70 AD, so I've qualified that and qualified that. We know that that's dealing with that. Now, is there something that goes on to the future? Are there future readers of the New Testament? Well, he says some of the things now that needs to be done. Things that need to be done in 70 AD. Those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. It's time to flee. The ones who are on the housetop, don't go. You see something happening, and you know what? Don't even take time to go down and get your stuff, or going anything out of the house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his home. Coat. You're out there in the field, and you see something happening. Get out of there. Don't even go back. But what are those who are pregnant? It's going to be really tough. Those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. You can imagine an icy day where it would be like zero. This would make it really difficult. Where where are you going to go at? Where are you going to be able to uh, survive? For those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. It's time to flee. Get out of there. Now in 70 AD, everybody was flooding into Jerusalem. They're coming in there and Jesus is saying here, when this time comes, you need to get out of there. Don't be going in there. Take my word for it. Uh, Once you get in there, there's no way out. Get out of there. Head for the mountains. Swim against the tide. Don't delay. Don't go to the house for your beloved objects. Escape for your life, whatever it is. And throughout church history, there has been persecution. There are times when uh, we can't run or maybe we're not to run. There are times when you run, you flee. Uh, So I'm just applying a little bit of uh, 
application here. Um, John Knox fled to Geneva because of Bloody Mary. The English reformers knew well what she did. And, uh, of course, she killed those reformers there, so he got out of there. I'm glad he did. He uh, gave us a lot of stuff to read today. Um, Went to the Netherlands. Knox fled to Geneva. Calvin had been in France. He fled and wound up in Geneva, which is really where he wasn't really wanting to go. Switzerland and such. So, anyway... um, there's an urgency here. When the zealots took possession of the temple in 67 and 68 A.D., Christians living in Jerusalem actually kind of fulfilled this prophecy in, in a sense. They fled the city and they escaped the crackdown of, of what Rome was doing even at that time, a couple of years before it happened. When you see this happening, you need to get out. And so they, with wisdom, did. Don't worry about your possessions. Just get out of there when you know that they're making a move. So, um, you know, if you're up on the roof, don't go down in. Take the outside stairs. Jump. Whatever it is. If you have outside stairs, take those. Get out of there. You see how urgent it is? Don't go back and get your garment that you need for a coat. Get out of there. This all happened. This all happened. Uh, Winter months, all that. I think there's a word that's in here from the Lord also for um, just practical aspects. When you see some things, be prepared. Um, anyway, uh, God does take care of His elect, and uh, of course, does it in many ways. Uh, now we get into the phrase, which is our title today. What's our title? The tribulation that is unparalleled. Those days be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now never will. You have to think about that passage. Because I think this is uh, lending some credence to the fact that uh, this tribulation is devastating. And it's something that is much more than creation. And we, we were studying Second Peter this week. We talked about what a thing that was and God creating that. And then He brought on the flood. How devastating is that when you wipe out the whole face of the earth and you have eight people? Is that pretty devastating? I have to take God's Word truly here and literal in the sense such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now. and never will. Going all the way back to creation. There is never been anything like this and there will never be anything like in the future when this thing happens this will be the end of what we know it as nothing has been like this I think you really have to concentrate on that verse I think it, it, I think Jesus is saying something there and as Matthew says a great tribulation This is a tribulation, a great tribulation, a time of tribulation. Don't be afraid of that word. We as Christians, we're protected by God. Let's say if we go through it, a time of tribulation. You have your own little tribulation. Let me tell you, they're nothing compared to this. Nothing compared... You know, 
I mean, when he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, he's talking about the flood, the flood of all things, people. He's not pulling our leg here. This is something to really examine. Um, Matthew twenty four twenty one. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will. And I ask you, was 70 A.D. what he's talking about here? It's quite a abomination of desolation. But was it something... Was that more devastating than the flood? Was this more devastating than anything that has ever gone on in the past? And I would say no. It, it affected Israel. It affected a million or so people. That's a lot. That's devastating. But there have been wars, wars that have been more devastating than that, involving nations and such. And he's not just talking about a little local thing. I think this is something to really check this out. When Jesus is saying this, not from the creation all the way to then, this is a time that has never happened, folks. I have not seen it in my lifetime. And I look and study 70 AD. Yeah, that was devastating for uh, Israel and the Jews. And the temple going down, the city being burned. But there have been much more things that have happened that have been more devastating than that. But I don't think those things have happened yet. I think it's at the time when Christ comes back. I think it's at this time that's called a great tribulation that as we see as we go into the text, it's going to involve not only Israel and the Romans, but we're talking about armies, nations that are gathered. What I want to do is turn back to Zechariah chapter 14 and get a little bit of handle on that because this chapter is something I think that has to be understood if we're going to even look into future things. Because chapters 12, 13, and 14 are dealing with that. And this is one of the sections out of the Old Testament that made me convinced. And like I say, don't worry about whether I'm going to say pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation. What I'm talking about, there's going to be a great tribulation. Let's just go at that. Something worse than what we see. And when is it going to be? Zechariah is going to give us the answer. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. Well, that could be that could happen any time, right? Zechariah is one of the last parts of the prophecy because he's he's not talking about during the time of Isaiah. That's already happened. They already have like you know a temple and such. For I will gather all the nations. And I want you to circle that, folks. This is what really started speaking to me. I have to take it not going through what I've always always heard. Those things can be helpful. Or to go along with a, with a thing that everybody else is going with or very few are going with. What we have to do is, okay, what do we do when there are texts, there are verses here that are there. We just can't wash them away. All the nations, not just Romans, but all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city will be captured. What's the city? We're speaking of Jerusalem. The whole context is 12, 13, and 14. But here is the culmination of it all. The city will be captured. The houses plundered. The women ravished. Half of the city exiled. 
but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. You can say, well, this is 70 A.D. then, right? No, because here it is. It's going to tell when this is going to happen. Are you ready? Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, not just the nation of Rome or Italy, as when He fights on a day of battle. In that day, what day? Well, verse 1 says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord. Okay? The Lord's day. In that day, His feet, His actual feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. What are we talking about here? What's the context? When is this happening? When Christ comes back? Absolutely. That's the context. That's what's following. That's what we do here. We do verse by verse, and we use text to be able to support it. And here's what I have asked so many people, and nobody ever gives me an answer except for a spiritual answer. But they can't deny the fact about, and I ask, Did Christ, is Christ coming back literally? And they say yes. Is He going to come to the Mount of Olives? Yeah. Just as He left here, He will be coming back in Acts chapter 1. Okay. He's going to stand. He's coming back. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. His feet. We're not talking about a spiritual thing. And I think that's why Zechariah puts it forth here. God knows that people can say, well, He's come back spiritually. That doesn't buy it. Not what Jesus has been talking about. Not what Zechariah and others are talking about. And He says, which is in front of Jerusalem? Just in case you don't get it about Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives is on the east. This is so easy to interpret, folks. We don't have to do some kind of spiritual thing and just wash it away. Just read verse by verse. The Mount of Olives will be split in its middle. That Mount of Olives. Remember Jesus had the, the, the Olivet Discourse? He's, he's on that Mount of Olives now as he, as he was explaining to the apostles as they looked at the temple. This same place. Zechariah talks about it's going to be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. Do you believe in earthquakes? Earthquakes, famines, you know, those kind of things. Well, this is going to be quite an earthquake, evidently. So half of the mountain, that Mount of Olives, it's not huge, but it will move toward the north, the other half toward the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountains. Now, is he talking about the disciples or the people that are in there before 70 A.D.? This is at the time of Christ coming back. This second coming, He didn't come back at that time. He didn't come back at 70 A.D. He didn't come in the clouds with power and glory. Whenever He comes back, it says in Revelation 1, every eye will see Him. They will look upon Him whom they pierced and mourn for Him as only Son. Zechariah chapter 12 deals with that. So this is definitely at this time. You have to deal with this. Now he starts mentioning things that are real locations. These are not just something that's just made up. He said, just in case you don't believe me, well, to reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee, just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Did that happen? Yeah. Well, is it going to happen in the future? No, that's just that's a spiritual thing. And that's when Christ comes back in our hearts or when Christ really comes back, he's, you know, uh, 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 what does it mean? Uh, uh, they can't explain it. I've never been explained it. It can't be explained outside of literal, or you can say it's just symbolic. Well, then that means Christ's coming is symbolic. Mount of Olives here is a symbolic. East to west, you know, those don't mean anything. So therefore, I can just symbolize the whole Bible and just throw it away because it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. It can mean whatever you want. I'm a verse-by-verse teacher, and I have to use other texts. 
And so I do this not trying to fall on a side, but I do so saying, what's it saying here? In that day, what day? In the day that the Lord comes back. In the coming of the Lord, verse 1. In that day there will be no light, the luminaries will dwindle, for it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord. Neither day nor night, but it will come about that evening the time there will be light. Now next week we'll get into that section where Christ comes back literally. Of course, some of this is right here what it's talking about. This is second coming of Christ written 400 years before Christ comes. And it's talking about not His first coming, but His second coming. We're talking about nations coming up against Jerusalem, aren't we? If we're going to take His second coming literally, why can't we take this day as being literal? And He talks about the lights going out in, 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 our, in our text in, in Mark. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven. And we're not talking about those great things. you know. But there's going to be something happen. The, the luminaries are going to be taken out. But He's going to be the luminary. <laughs> Zechariah is saying the same thing as Jesus is saying. As, also, as John says it. And many other places. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. This is not talking about our new birth. We're talking about this is the time when Christ comes back. Half of them toward the eastern sea. The eastern sea? The Dead Sea? The other half toward the western sea? What's that? The Mediterranean. That's how the, the Jews always looked at that. The west, the east sea. We're talking about that's the locations. He gives us locations down to the detail. It will be in summer as well as in winter. The Lord will be a king over all the earth. He comes back to the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and His name the only one. He's king. He's king now. But He takes it and shows completely who is the king. He is our king. There's the kingdom now. And there's the kingdom not yet. This is the kingdom that has not yet happened. That is coming. Look at this. All the land will be changed. And people say, I can't believe this would happen. All the land will be changed to a plain from Geba. These are real places. You look on your, on your Bible map, you'll, you'll see these names. From Geba to Remon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. People will live in it and there will no longer be a curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security. They don't have security today. But at that time they certainly won't have security. All the nations will be up against it. Now this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. You know what? I believe that. Their tongue will rot in their mouth. You didn't see this, these kind of deaths in 70 A.D. We're seeing something here that goes beyond 70 A.D. This is a destruction that has not ever happened before. It will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them and they will seize one another's hand. And the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered. Gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also like this plague will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey and all the cattle that will be in those camps. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. 
This hasn't happened. It hasn't happened in during the time after Christ. It didn't happen during before Christ or during Christ's time. We're talking after Christ has come back, there's going to be a celebration of the Feast of Booths. The Israelites knew that. Why start spiritualizing it now? I have asked people saying, okay, second coming of Christ, you believe that? That's saying in Zechariah. And they can't deny that. Nobody can. Other than that, they're a heretic, right? I mean, you have to just say, yeah, that's Jesus coming back. It says it here. I don't believe Zechariah. You don't believe in Zechariah, then what else do you not believe? It's here. Okay, what do we do with this second coming? Well, there are going to be people that are going to supposed to go celebrate a feast of booths after Christ has been back and He is Lord and King over all the earth, right? And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth all over, does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King. Now, this Jerusalem, what Jerusalem is this? He's the Lord of hosts. There will be no rain on them. He will not give the blessing of rain. These are nations. These are people who will go as in... Um, I don't have the time now, but if you look in Matthew 25, these are the ones who actually did the things that look like what a Christian did. As a matter of fact, they are believers. And they go into this time, but at this time, there is no rain on them. We say, well, then we're not going to have rain during the time. Well, if the family of Egypt does not go up, Egyptians are going to enter into this kingdom. So we're talking nations here, but, but not the whole nation. It's going to be people who are believers. Then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. It's not Old Testament time period. It's not happening in our time. When is it? It's a future time. I'm not going to have to try to push this on you. All I'm saying is this is a future time. We have to at least say, hmm, there's something there that I can't answer. Okay, then keep doing some more studying. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. There's going to be punishment. There's going to be disobedience at this time period. It's not the eternal state because we know there is no more sin, no more sorrow. It looks like there are people who come in and disobey God. Maybe it's children of these people. In that day there will be inscribed on the bells of horses, holy to the Lord. The cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. Every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. And all who sacrifice will come and take of them and boil in them. And there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts in that day. We read Zechariah 14. I think it speaks hugely to the time that Christ is talking about, not, not just the 70 A.D. Zechariah is talking about on in the future. I think we put that together with what Jesus is talking about, a time that has never been. That verse just sticks out all over the place. It's known as the time of Jacob's trouble. If you will look in Jeremiah 30, Verse 3 through 7. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah. The Lord says, I will also bring them back to the land that I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. Now, these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see. If a male can give birth, why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? And why have all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great. 
There is none like it. And it is a time of Jacob's distress. But he'll be saved from it. It should come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their neck and will tear off their bonds and strangers will no longer make them as their slaves. But they'll serve their Lord their God and David their king who I'll raise up for them. The day is great. There's none like it. It's a time of Jacob's distress. Jacob's trouble. Look in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. There is no day like this. None like it. Do you catch that? Does it it help? (coughs) I said Daniel 12, right? Daniel 12, 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress. Are you ready? Such has never occurred since there was a nation until that time, whenever this happens. And at that time, look at this, folks, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep, what about the ones who died? At that time, those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Folks, we have to deal with that. There it is. This is this time, a time that has never occurred this is not 70 A.D. because the ones who slept in the dust of the ground did not arise. He didn't have the judgment of the uh, everlasting contempt. That's going on. All the people that are written in the book will be rescued. We will meet Christ. That takes the believers from all time. All the way back to Adam's time to the time whenever Christ comes back. All those ones who are believers... Well, I have a lot to go through. We're probably going to have to pick up on this next week. Um, I know it sounds like, oh man, you're just trying to deal with prophecy. You know, I have not really dealt with prophecy for... I mean, I have, but not the, the, the dealing with the future. Most of it's been dealing with things that we could look at. A lot of it for one purpose because we used to do, we did that quite a bit. People wanted explanations. And of course we did Revelation. I don't know how many times. I can look at Debbie and I can look at Carolyn and I can look at uh, Penny and Michael. Uh, uh, Cindy. Even Zach. People kept asking questions about that. We'd go over and over and I did it. almost got a little tired. I'm looking at it at a different time. Haven't changed a whole lot. I don't really stress a pre-tribulation because I'm not going to do it here. I don't think it really I, it really calls for me to have to do that. I I don't uh, I don't really know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. But can I say this? Is there going to be a time of judgment that Christ is going to have, according to Second Peter? that we talked about on Wednesday night? Is there going to be a future time when God's going to judge? Is it going to be a time that has never happened before? I think if we can get to that and arrive at that, we can say, well, Jesus is talking about something Zechariah was talking about. But he's talking about like 70 A.D. But this looks like at the time of His coming. Hmm? 
Is there something there? Is there something to it? I mean, we have more scriptures, and we can talk about the 70th week of Daniel. He said, "Oh no, here's this prophecy bus, and we're going to this. He's going to do a Tim LaHaye on us. He's going to do Howie Lindsay on us." I'm not even doing that, folks. I'm just saying, let's interpret scripture, and let's don't do it symbolically. Only when we have to take it symbolically, when it is, when there are things that are true. When Jesus said He's a door, He's not a literal door, but in another sense, He is the door. He's the one that we go through. So I'm not a wooden literalist. We have to take symbolism where it is to be taken. But whenever he names a city, he names nations, he names feasts, he names different places and mountains around there, and it's the east of Jerusalem, we have to deal with that. And that's what I've talked to everybody I've ran into who doesn't believe that there's going to be any kind of... Everything has all been fulfilled. It's done. 70 AD did it, and all we have to do is Christ going to come back and take us into heaven. There's a lot of things... I think here in our Mark passage that lends credence to the fact there's a lot of things to happen. A lot of these things are going on in the sense that there's the wars. And I think those birth pangs somewhere along the lane could really start closing in on each other. If those, if those birth pangs are there, 70 weeks of Daniel, is it the 70th week and such? We get into Daniel, we can talk about that. I don't mean to go into this very much. just mainly want to cover the text. But uh, to stress the fact that I can see a future thing here and the word tribulation and great tribulation is there. I'm not embarrassed to say it. Uh, Why is this happening? What do we do? Where do we go? And if we were to look in Mark, and now all I'm going to do is just read on down through there. We're going to close this, okay? And we'll pick it up next week. And we'll give some legitimacies. I didn't give you very much legitimacies. I thought I gave you quite a few. But why all of this is much more than the 70 AD, which I've been saying. But we get into the next text where we're at. It answers many, many questions and gives us a great time period to look at. On Mark 13, we talked about the days. This creation, verse 20, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. He has to come in and stop this. And that's the idea of shortening the days. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, boy, at this time you're going to have even more. He's already stated back before you know, the 70 AD, and already started within the first decade of Christ. People were coming in in the name of Christ, saying that they were Christ. They were the Messiah. Again, now he's saying, behold, he's there. Do not believe him. False Christ, false prophets will rise. Of course, I just already told you about the Muslims. And their false messiah is going to come. Everybody has false messiah. New Age back in the 80s, they had uh, they had different people that you know that really was going to lead the people into that. Well, evidently they've come and gone. Some of them not even living anymore. But they went around saying that, and it's going to be a great time of spiritual deception. Uh, we read that in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse eleven, First Timothy four one. You don't have to be fearful of false teachers. You know your shepherd's voice. Okay. Signs and wonders says it's going to happen. Second Thessalonians two nine. Uh, at at any rate, why is this happening? Well, he says in verse twenty three. But take heed. Behold, I've told you everything in advance. I've told you about this when this happens. And what he's saying: Don't be deceived. Be settled. Whenever it's an unsettling time and all the wars and all the things you hear about the president and, and, and that whole thing that's, that's going down in this nation, this nation's going down, be settled. Stand firm, even to the end. Preach the gospel. 
In season, out of season. That is why I preach this message. That's for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for being the God who has overwhelming truth. And that You'd even show us some things that could be troubling, things that go on. And I think You wanted to do that to to definitely warn the disciples. But I think we can take it as today. We can take comfort even whenever things can be stripped from us, even our freedoms. We hear a lot of things that are going on. We, we know of all the wars that can happen in North Korea that would like to attack us. We've heard about the Russias and the Chinas. And Lord, you know what? We are not to be moved. We are just to stand firm. You've already told us about these things as you told the disciples. You wanted to comfort us and warn us. And yeah, those things, uh, not even being a newspaper theologian, those things are out there that are... That could be troubling, but they're not. We can thank a very sovereign God. And that's really why you wrote this, so that Christians all through the ages can take comfort in you. We don't know when you are coming back, but uh, like John said in Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We we would uh, love to go now, but if it's another... Uh, if it's in our lifetime, that's even great too. And if it's not in our lifetime, in another thousands and thousands of years, that's okay. But we know that there are many things that are happening that haven't happened before. So we, we look to you maybe coming back in our time. We just want to be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.